Before we begin today's discussion, we would like to state that this podcast episode was recorded after the murder of George Floyd, but before organized protests which happened across the nation over the weekend. We stand with the people of America and across the globe against racism and look forward to the change created as a result of these protests in hopes for a better, more equitable tomorrow for all of humanity. We can grow as humans to peace and love, and we understand in order to do that, we have to be able to stand together against injustice. We stand for change, and this episode is dedicated to all the people putting in the labor for positive change. Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Welcome to Talk Your Poly Off. We want to say before we begin our discussion, our hearts and care go out to all of those hurting and struggling. Our love goes out to everyone standing to make the world a better place. We would like to take a moment of silence so others can be heard and to pay respect to George Floyd and all the lives lost as well as the lives in ruin. We debated on not doing an episode today, so the focus of the world could go to where it is needed most right now, but ultimately decided to air because of the nature of podcasting and that we know people will be where they need to be and do what needs done, and when the time is right, our discussion can be picked up by listeners at any time. Before the recent events in our country, we took the time to watch the Love Without Limits episode of Louis Thoreau's Altered States documentary series. This episode followed Louie as he met and spoke with a number of polyamorists in Portland, Oregon. We have the opportunity to see some people we know or have met, and even a few friends. So watching it was a bit of a thrill. Yeah, we actually heard about it from a friend of ours who was on it and was like, Hey, it's now available to see. Go check it out. So we tuned in. Yeah. As we were watching, we saw a man who knows nothing of polyamory try to understand this alternate lifestyle of multiple loves and multiple partners. At times, we chuckled at his noticeable confusion and were even impressed on an occasion or two when we caught him having an epiphany. Overall, watching polyamory from the perspective of a monogamous person trying to figure it out rather than provide blanket judgments was interesting but during the show, we were noticing a common trend in some of the journalists' questions. <laughs> this trend is what we plan on talking about today, and it boils down to, why aren't I enough for my partner, or why is my partner not enough for me? It was really interesting as we were, you know, just casually, I don't know, eating dinner, watching this episode. It was just another night during quarantine times where got Netflix on or whatever, streaming service of the night it was on and kicking back and man a poly show a journalist looking into polyamory people we know let's check it out and it was definitely interesting like you said some good points and some eye roll kind of head turning points right and the documentary is not new it's been out for a few years now yeah but each time that we've tried to find it in the past we had difficulty doing that yeah and specifically this episode so, I guess it's on HBO Max now, yep. which is where we saw it. 
and we finally got the chance to see it. We've actually been looking forward to doing this for a while now. Yeah, and it's honestly not terrible. Um, we went in with the mindset that, you know, a monogamous journalist was going to rip apart polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. He didn't do awful. I would say that I would say that you could definitely tell he misunderstood some aspects of it, but you would expect that with anybody just right. coming in. Right, and we'll get into that in a little bit because we are going to talk about some of his questioning or some of his conclusions or where the conversations went. Let's get into this, though. Okay. So often, in a monogamous relationship, love is equated with being somebody's everything. While in the moment, that sounds incredibly romantic, there are deeper implications in this sort of statement. While the sentiment is lovely to say and delightful to hear... A bit more reflection on the statement suggests that we're nothing without another completing us. It roots in codependency and even infatuation. Yeah, and there's a difference between your partner being your everything and your partner enhancing your life. Mm -hmm. We would all like to believe we are whole on our own, which we really are. We also desire to share another person's importance in our life. And... We feel more enhanced when that special someone is in our life. So what is the difference? Well, we are complete individuals all on our own. Most of us, even the monogamously inclined, have had multiple loves in our life. Before you found that person who completes you, you still had you. Between each person who completed you at the time, you still had you. From the time you were born until present day, you were and are the complete version of you. Many polyamorous understand the value of not imposing all of our needs onto another person. Mm -hmm. In practicing responsibility for our own needs and understanding how to take care of those is what helps us not lose ourself while in a relationship. Oh, I used to do that all the time. <laughs> lose myself. It's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Remembering we are a complete person with or without another is a key at maintaining our identity throughout our relationships. And when we invite a lover or intimate partner into our life, we are inviting them to share our experiences and create memories as distinct and different individuals. We aren't trying to shape them into an accessory or a handbag or something to accompany us with our existence, just as we aren't trying to mold ourselves to become their handbag right? in well, the world of another. Yeah, well, and from another point of view, we come together to create and share memories because we want to share with each other. Yeah. This is how we enhance one another, by realizing we are two different people having shared experiences. In treating relationships this way, each of our partners definitely adds to and enhances our lives because we're learning from each other and growing in the same garden together. We may be different types of flowers, but we enjoy the same sun and the same nutrients, which allow us to both grow how we choose and we get to do it together. You may be a daffodil and I may be a tulip, but we share the same garden, the same soil, the same breeze. And even if I get transplanted into a new garden... Oh. I'll still be a daffodil and you'll still be a tulip. But now we have the chance to grow with new plants and we will have been able to take our previous memories with us to learn how to adapt in our new environment. I don't want you to be a daffodil. I want you to be the tulip you are because I'm a better daffodil for being with you. Oh. 
We need diversity and difference to help us grow. But we also need to remember we are good enough who we are, no matter what garden we're in. So like the garden analogy, in many scenarios, the idea of something or someone being good enough means that we're striving for perfection and fell short, but managed to meet the needs in a way that still satisfied them. When you think about your favorite meal, let's just say a great salad, you put all the ingredients together, mix it up, add your dressing, and then you sit down to eat and it's a fantastic salad. Maybe not perfect, but good enough. We don't even blink with that thought about a salad, but when it comes to a person or to ourselves, we get defensive. Why am I not good enough for you? Why is sex with me alone not good enough? Which is where really Louis Thoreau seemed to get stuck during most of these interviews on this documentary. Yeah, and I mean, we take it personally and we get emotional instead of simply remembering that we aren't perfect. And for our partner to expect perfection from us isn't fair. So perhaps we could embrace who we are and focus on our strong points instead of scrutinizing why we're falling short or why we aren't perfect. It would go a long way in helping understand that we aren't perfect, which is okay. And just being good enough isn't actually a bad thing. I mean, so it makes me think about the fact that I can't do certain things right now, right? Okay. So I think about my weight issues And the fact that I can't walk as far as I want to walk and I can't adventure, like uh, we want to go to the eight caves at some point. I know you've been there. I've never been. And I'm afraid to go because of some of the walking down ladders and in the caves and the small spaces. So it hinders me right now. I can't quite do the adventuring that I want to do. So quick, quick thing. Yeah. Apologize for interrupting. For those of you who do not live in the Pacific Northwest and don't know what the ape caves are. They are lava tubes in the ground near Mount St. Helens, which are hollowed out. And you can actually climb down into these lava tubes and walk the path that the lava had taken so many years ago. That's what the 8K is. Yeah. Exploring empty, hollow lava tubes. (laughs) And everybody up here does it. It's one of those hikes and adventures that if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you've heard someone reference it at some point. Anyway. And so I've been here 10 years now and have still not been able to do this. And so the idea that, like, I'm not good enough to go on your adventures, right? right? He'll find a partner that's perfect and better than me and she can do all these things and he's got to do that because i'm not perfect i'm not good enough that's strangely a good example because that's exactly what happened is i found (laughs) another partner to explore the ape caves with me i would love to take bella i think that bella would very much enjoy exploring these caves i understand that bella has certain limitations and in a monogamous mindset, I might be like, well, these limitations are holding me back from enjoying this thing. And now I might start thinking that you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a polyamorous circumstance, I can recognize that you would struggle. I could recognize that you're not ready to go on this adventure. And so I took someone else that means something to me down into these ape caves. It doesn't mean I was glad I went with that person and not Bella. I wasn't thumbing my nose at Bella. (laughs) I wanted to explore the ape caves as an individual, as a single person. 
and I wanted someone to create these memories with. And while well, Bella at the time is not currently capable or, or ready, I guess would be a better yeah. word. To, I don't know if I'm capable either. To do it. <laughs> I still want to do it. And I still want someone to share that memory with me. And I took someone else. And that doesn't make them better than her. It doesn't make that partner more perfect. It means that they have different sets. Right. And that's where I was getting at was what we always talk about with being different. Right? It's not that I'm not good enough. We have lots of other adventures and things that I can do. Yeah. There is no perfect person here to adventure with. Taking it even, you know, into sex. And why aren't you, you know, enough in bed? Why do you have to have other partners? It's all different. It's not a matter of I'm not good enough and he needs to get it somewhere else, which is the typical right. monogamous thought is that you're you're not giving him what he needs. First of all, it's not my job to give him what he needs. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say that. It's true. And secondly, I give him different things, you know? We do also different true. stuff. So the idea that you're not good enough, I think helps me personally in those situations when I just think about being different. Interestingly, speaking about this, where Louie got hung up in his documentary is why isn't sex with you good enough, right? Why do you have to have sex from other people? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's it's pretty simple. Like, some person enjoys more foreplay. Sometimes you get more experience with a longer duration mm -hmm. with another partner. Maybe you have that partner that does that special thing with their tongue and a nine iron. <laughs> Some people know. are more flexible and different sizes and shapes and right. just all sorts of different things. But the thing was, is it kept coming up. Why do you need to be with multiple partners? This is what makes most people struggle when they think about the concept of having open relationships. Not just opening a current relationship, but the idea of just having multiple partners in general. He was really curious how the sex arrangements were. Uh, there was there was much more emphasis on the intimacy than on much of the rest of what makes the relationship a relationship. Yeah, and he asked that across multiple couples and partnerships and dynamics that were featured on the show. At yeah. each one, it was he'd come back to the intimate sexual aspect of it. And it was almost immediately like, hi, how are you? How do you guys have sex? How does this work? I mean, that's not how it, <laughs> it but that's how it came across. Yeah. Right? That's not actually how it happened. But that is definitely how it came across. In fact, early in the episode, when he was talking to one of the people, Gretchen, they were in the kitchen making breakfast while Joe and Heidi, some of the other parts of this relationship, were downstairs, almost immediately Louis Thoreau was trying to figure out why isn't why aren't you good enough for your partner? Right. And Gretchen was trying to explain why it doesn't matter, like why it's okay for her partner Joe to be with other people yeah. and why she doesn't mind and that it's not like for her to deal with. Right. And it wasn't like he has to be monogamous to my sexual bed in order for us to be together. She was saying that this is all agreed upon, consensual, and okay. And that just enhances our relationship. Right. It's not taking away. And he seemed almost at that time like he was following along, like he was getting it. Until the idea of another person sharing his wife intimately 
caused some internal conflict for him. And you could see his face change on camera where he was like, I'm fine with her having friends and doing other hobbies and doing these things, but the idea of somebody else being intimate with my wife and his whole face changed. Right, right. Not to say that this was his only real stumbling block. He had a difficult time with the couple who were expecting a baby and now a new relationship would affect the paternal partner. Like the idea of another intimate partner suggesting he wasn't good enough to satisfy his wife, this idea of another partner coming into a relationship during a pregnancy seemed to spark concern from the journalist on why the paternal partner may not be enough, and he almost seemed to project the fear that the new partner would diminish or become an issue on a parental level for the established partner. Yeah, there were a couple times he'd ask the same question over and over or ask the same question worded slightly different, Mm -hmm. where it was along the lines of, are you sure this new person's not going to mess up your new parenting roles? And it was like, no, dude, we already talked about this. It's cool. (laughs) So though it isn't always the case, these types of concerns are typically rooted in our most base emotions of fear and insecurity. The fear of being replaced or even just feeling replaceable. This is often why we don't feel good enough. Because we fear we aren't or because we've been taught that if we don't have it all, if we aren't perfect, then we don't have anything. This is where statements like, you are my everything, creates polarized views of our relationships, where we struggle to accept that things don't have to be perfect, even where we chase the dream of finding our one true love and having a happily ever after. It's basically an all-or-nothing outlook. Yeah. Feeling inadequate or less than perfect is one thing to understand mentally. Many of us feel this at some point, to some degree, but to actually change it, to stop beating yourself up and pushing yourself down, to stop feeding these fears requires some serious inner work. Thinking about your happily ever after statement Mm -hmm. a minute ago, we would do well to recognize where some of this comes from. We're taught specific things early on in our life, from parental guidance to mass media and many sources in between. We grow based on what we know, and much of what we know is what we're taught, like the morals in cartoons we watch, (laughs) or the TV shows we tune into, thus the happily ever after. Right. A lot of our feelings of inadequacy come from learned behaviors in our childhood. Unfortunately, some of what we are taught isn't intentional, like childhood trauma from abuse, which destroys a child's worth, a caregiver who is unable to give you safety or stability, or having critical and judgmental people in your life, bullies in school, you know, all of that stuff. Right. So how can we identify these early childhood and young adult crystallizations, combat the feelings, and do the work to feel like we are enough, even when we aren't our partner's everything? Well, there's a few things that we can do to feel a little bit more empowered and confident. The first thing that I suggest is to just practice some deep belly or box breathing. So deep belly breathing is not just taking air into your lungs like normal. You want to breathe so deep that you can feel it go way down into your belly, right? Right. 
that's where that deep belly breathing is coming from. I mean, I know you know this. But <laughs> I'm also talking to our polyam fam. It's a common practice found in meditation. It's, it's part of what, I mean, if you're not into meditation, obviously you don't need to take too much stock into this. But if you are more interested in the idea, you're breathing so deep into your core that you're building your, your key, which is your center of energy at the base of your torso. And then box breathing has become pretty common in psychology and, and self-help stuff. Yeah, you'll even see it like on Facebook feeds. People will share. And it's like a GIF or a GIF, whatever they say. Well, technically it's a GIF according to the person that created it. Oh, okay. Well, a GIF. But I don't recognize it as a <laughs> GIF. I recognize peanut butter as GIF. <laughs> it's a GIF. So in this GIF... It's a square, and you'll see the little dot moving along the top line of the square, and it's, I don't know, maybe a 30-second thing, and you inhale while that dot's going, and then it comes down the side, and you exhale the whole time the dot's going. It's probably another 30 seconds, and then it goes along the bottom, and it's another breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out with each side okay. of this box, and it's box breathing. My familiarity with box breathing is coming from military practice, mm -hmm. uh, especially with like Navy SEALs and snipers and stuff, where each section of the box is four seconds. The top side, you're breathing in for a solid four seconds. It goes down the one side, and you hold it for four seconds. It goes across the bottom. You breathe out for four seconds. It goes up the side, and you hold it for four seconds before you start the process over again. Yeah. So I guess that's a couple of different ways you could do box breathing. So the second tip we have is really just to exercise. You get your adrenaline flowing. The more you get that adrenaline pumping, you start to feel empowered. I know when I'm having a really crappy day and we decide to go for a walk or a run and I really didn't want to because I'm feeling pretty crappy, when I'm done, I'm proud of myself and I feel stronger and more empowered and all these good things. Which we should probably do after we're done recording is go for a walk. I know that I need it. I think that after the day that you've had, you could probably use it. <laughs> It'd help us re-energize a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling like we're good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next tip it would be to stand in a power pose multiple times a day to, again, feel strong and confident. Like Superman. It's totally like Superman. Is or, it really? Yes. Or okay. Wonder Woman. Um, I think they used this idea in Grey's Anatomy in a couple episodes. Oh, yeah? It's literally chest out, hands on your hips, stand in your power pose. And if you don't like superheroes, you could be the guy on the Captain Morgan bottle. Yeah, be the pirate. Yeah. But whatever it is, find your power pose and hold your head up high and just hold it for a few seconds. Like, yeah, I fucking got this. I really like power poses, I'm not going to lie, especially when I'm in cosplay, because it enhances that feeling and yeah. that energy or that drama. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's neat. It's a lot of fun. And you might feel silly at first when you're doing it, but it's kind of a fun silly, and it might help. Yeah, and I mean, you don't have to do it in front of people. Step away, go to the bathroom, stand in front of the mirror, and just do it by yourself. Yeah. This is for you anyway. It's not for anyone else. And I know that you're going to say something about the way you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
I do want to interject. I just want to jump right in and get your face here. Do it. Is that it's when you're that doing kind of day. <laughs> when you're doing <laughs> all of these things, give yourself positive talk. Tell mm-hmm. yourself you are enough. So the last piece of advice I have here for you to for you to feel a bit more confident and like you are enough is to remember the phrase compare and despair. To remind ourselves that comparing ourselves only fuels the negative feelings of not being good enough. Right. You can always jump back to our Four C's episode. Yeah. Where we talk about comparison and compersion and compassion and, and competition. It's, it's the, the way that we speak to ourselves, the way we speak about ourselves, which is how we look at the world around ourselves. Mm-hmm. So as much as you want to love and be good and and all this other stuff, you got to be good inside. And it sounds cliche, but really it's true. And if you are struggling with feeling like you're good enough, do some of these things as an exercise to remind yourself, I need to be mindful in my thought process right now. I need to be mindful with how I treat myself and with how I look at myself. Yeah, absolutely. And in that way, it helps you see that you really are good enough. So I have a question. Yeah. In our over three years together. Yeah. Is there a time you can remember not feeling good enough? Are you kidding me? I'm perfect. And how did you combat that feeling? I just breezed right by your you really perfection. Let's call out. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely times where I have felt... And even occasionally where I still do feel like I'm not good enough. I'm not immune to this. And no, I don't believe I'm perfect at all. (laughs) I know very well that I'm not. I know that there was a time early in our relationship where I was also dealing with some other struggles in my life that was unrelated to you. Right. And because that part of my life was so heavy in the moment, I felt like I wasn't good enough in the way that I wasn't giving you a fun, light, adventurous date every time we got together. And I'm not going to be good enough, and I'm going to keep failing at this, and you're going to get tired of it and be like, ghost, I'm out. (laughs) And so there are times for that. Yeah. So how did you work through those feelings? It it took a lot of – I spend a lot of time – working on my thought process. That's one of the biggest things that's changed who I am probably in the last 20 years of my life. I used to be a far different person. And it's because I've actively and consciously worked on my thought process in a way that helps empower me now where it used to be something where I'd use it as punishment for myself. And You know, there are times where I feel like I've got it nailed and I've done all this self-work and I've rewired my thought processes and all of this sort of thing. And then something new comes up and it's like, oh, you thought you were a master? (laughs) Check this out. And then I get a new obstacle and a new challenge. And I have to stop and rethink how I'm doing this or how I'm going to go about this. Or maybe this has worked for me in the past. It's not going to apply here in the present. So in that scenario, it took a while for me to believe in myself. And I kept failing. And I think the biggest step at changing that thought process was communicating with you Mm -hmm. my fears. Yeah. 
instead of just hiding them, because I'm all, like, stoic and shit, (laughs) (laughs) I decided I'm going to take the chance, and I'm going to explain my feelings. And I'm going to do it as many times as I need to, so that I know that you understand. Right. So, so I don't, I'm not done. I'm not done. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) So the next biggest thing that helped me was because I communicated with you and you understood where I was coming from, you provided a level of support that I needed to help me trust that it was all okay. So you returned communication in a way which I felt trusted and, and that I could trust in you. And so, so I trusted in that and I built on that. And every time I felt like, oh, I'm just failing, I'm not good enough, I could come back and say, no, you are. She's even validated that. You know you're working on that. Trust that she's going to be patient while you continue your work. And you have been. Right. And that was a way to not only stand on my own and work on me for me, but it was also a way in which a partner enhances my life instead of is my everything. <laughs> right. You did a part to help me grow so that we could be in that garden together, which is where I love being with you. Where I'm a tulip. Yeah. So it's interesting as I get all reflective and internal with this. Yeah. You and I had very different childhoods growing up. Oh, yeah. Up. Yeah, yeah. You had a perfect childhood. <laughs> I had lots of support. I had lots of praise. Yeah. I won trophies and ribbons and medals, and I did all the things. I did that, too. Yeah. And one would think that I would have a pretty high confidence level, and I would think of myself as pretty darn close to perfect, and I've been told... Wait, you don't? Stop. (laughs) I've been told all my life all these amazing things. So why is it that two different backgrounds... I didn't have any abuse or anything in mine. Still come to the same you conclusion. Had you had I some. didn't know it was like verbal abuse. A lot of us didn't. Right, right. But I mean, like, it didn't hit me at the time. It hit me when I was an adult. Right. But at the time, I wasn't less confident. I didn't know there was anything wrong at the it time. It was a standard operating procedure. Yeah. When I was growing up, under the circumstances I grew up, I thought that's how everyone grew up. Yeah. I thought everyone had the cops kicking their door in and <laughs> and every kid got beat by their drunk dad. Like, I thought that's how it just was. Oh, no. So how do we get to the same place where neither of us feel perfect? We never feel good enough. So with the two different backgrounds that we have, how do we still get to the same place where neither of us feel like we're good enough at certain points of time? Well, it's back to what we were saying earlier, right? It's what's crystallized in your childhood and your young adulthood. It's the things that have been fed to you and and taught to you and how you see yourself versus how you saw yourself then even. So to make it a little bit more personal here, growing up in an abusive environment like you had versus the environment that I had and the way you might have seen yourself Shot in the face at 13. Kids were pretty mean, got pretty bullied. I didn't get very bullied. But you see, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 
your outlook on life and things that were said to you and you were beat by dad or whatever it was, whether you thought that was the norm or not, still had an effect on you. It absolutely did. Pain has an effect on people. I had lots and lots and lots of praise. I was told I can do anything I put my mind to and all this stuff. So if those are shaping us as we're growing up, those sorts of situations, how do we still get to that same point? Okay. So let me put it in a personal manner. So my upbringing of abuse and neglect, Mm -hmm. my upbringing of lots of drugs in the family, lots of police activity in the family, lots of throwing fists or belts, that's teaching you that you're nothing, you're worthless, you're a burden, someone's tired of dealing with you, you're a waste of space. Right. Right? And when you grow up, you never think you're good enough for anything and you're afraid to do anything because you're afraid of getting severely beaten for it. And logically, like, I'm following, like, that makes sense why, okay. why you would feel that way. It's like the hand on the hot stove analogy. You don't want to touch the hot stove because you don't want to get burned, right? After you've experienced that, you don't want to experience it again. Yeah. Now, in an abusive home, it's not just, oh, see, there's a learning lesson. Often, and this isn't quite just metaphorical, mm-hmm. similar things have happened physically in my home where I was forced to experience this thing just so that I could experience it, right? If I put my hand, this part is actually metaphorical. If I put my hand on the hot stove and it burned me and I said, ow, then my dad would come along and say, you stupid little shit, that's what you get. Now let's try your other hand. (laughs) And he would put my hand on the stove, Right. right? My dad never put my hand on the stove, but similar things like that would happen. Right. Or it's further, it's further enforcing that fear through abuse. And that makes sense. Why a person in that situation would grow up and be like, oh, I'm not good enough. Right. Now, from the other hand, because this isn't all about abuse, (laughs) you're talking about how does someone who is being raised to think that they could achieve anything they want get to the same level of feeling like they're not good enough. Right. Now, I did not grow up with you, and I don't know exactly what was said or what was done, so I'm going to use my creativity to create a deduction. Sure. Okay. You've heard a lot of my stories and things. Yeah. So you are a young athlete. You're doing great in school. You're focusing a ton on your sports. You're being told by your super supportive dad that you can do anything you want and you can always make it and, you know, Go, Bella. Yeah, teachers, coaches, everybody around me. Right. Everyone's fluffing you, floating your boat. And then adulthood happens, and then you don't, you need to get out, and you need to go out on your own, and you need to live life. And suddenly, all of those people who are cheerleading you while you're in your support system aren't quite there, because maybe you're away at college, or you're out having your normal job now that, you know. And suddenly, you've gone from being a multi-gold medal winning athlete mm-hmm. to the person that doesn't even get a name plaque on their desk. Or they spell my name wrong. Or they spell your name wrong. Suddenly you've gone from absolute superstar who's one day going to be the, the president or an <laughs> astronaut yeah. or queen of the world to just that random lady at the bank. <laughs> right? 
just that random person taking your order. You went from being the next top everything to being nobody. Yeah. So you've had a whole childhood of thinking that you're great and you're wonderful and you're going to do amazing things. And then adulthood happens and you just, where are all these amazing things? <laughs> what am I doing? I'm not doing shit. I'm, well, then that's I mean, would where. Would that be accurate? Totally, totally. And that's where, you know, abusive relationships and adulthood come in. Yeah. You know, and yours may have been heavier in the childhood side. Not to say you didn't experience it all your life. Oh, I pretty much did, yeah. Yeah, but mine didn't kick in until I was an adult and out of the house and out of college and on my own. You know, I'd have relationships where someone would say things to me like, you're just a fat, ugly C-word. And they would say the C-word. Right. Yeah. So, like, that would, all that confidence that I built up and all that, you know, I am perfect just the way I am kind of self-worth got ticked away and ticked away and, you know, kicked me down a little bit here and a little bit there. And over 20 years or so, 30 years, it just starts to slide. So I suppose that's how we meet in the I'm not good enough bubble. I think that that would be honestly the most logical next conclusion yeah. is because Young adulthood also is a key factor. Yeah. And we grow to learn, and you have to... In that scenario, you went from being stellar to being dirt. <laughs> Thanks! I love you, too! In the eyes <laughs> of other people. Right. I got what you're saying. <laughs> Thanks for interrupting me and making me look like a D-word. <laughs> And I think that that's where you start having that self-talk. Like, oh, this is a person who I love and adore, like your father. Right. This is a person I love and adore, and he says all these amazing, wonderful things about me. And then next thing you know, you're not finding anyone that says these things, but you hook up with this guy who you love and adore, and he says all these C-word things about you. But you know you have adoration toward this person, just like you had adoration towards your dad or mm -hmm. towards a teacher, like you'd said, a coach. Yeah. So they're obviously right. <laughs> if you adore them, you got to adore them for a reason. Right. And then they're telling you these things, and thus the dirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, trying to be perfect, first of all, is never going to happen. Nobody's perfect. You can get close, I'm sure. But that's also a really heavy burden to carry. Like, can you imagine being and feeling like you are perfect in every way, and then you make one slip somewhere, and your whole world is shattered? That's a lot of fucking pressure. I don't know that I can imagine that, because I've been far from perfect pretty much my whole life. It's, it's, I can't imagine it. It's crazy. No, no it's That's it's a tough. lot. That'd be heavy. And that's really when we boil all of this down is where we have to admit to ourselves that we're good enough. Yeah. We don't need to be perfect. We don't want to be perfect. Mm -hmm. We want to be good enough. And good enough for who, I think, is the next real big question. And that's good enough for ourselves. Yes. And that's it. You're good enough for yourself, then that's going to be what gets you through the world. And that's what's going to help you understand where the good in a relationship is yeah don't try to be good enough for someone else right 
just be good enough for you. And that's really where we're at is when you're good enough for yourself, you're focusing on your own well-being. You're focusing on what it takes for you to be happy with you in your existence. Being good enough for yourself means that you are accepting yourself, which makes it easier for you to be good for other people. Mm -hmm. Not at a term that they want you to be, but on the term that you're comfortable with being. I'm willing to be here for you in a way that I'm comfortable with being with. And I'm good enough with myself to know that I don't need to stretch that further than I'm willing to. Yeah. In order to please someone else who might take me for granted. Yeah. So take care of you. Be good enough for you. Because you are amazing as you. You are enough. You are enough. And you're enough, Bella. So are you, Monsada. I am, it's true. <laughs> I'm so humble. <laughs> I'll see you in the garden later. I will see you in the garden later. Did I just wink at you on a podcast that nobody else can see the you wink? sure did. Yeah. <laughs> and I winked back. Well, despite whether you get to see us in the garden together later or not, <laughs> I think that this is probably what we've got for this episode and uh we hope that we helped you see yourself as enough today well if you're interested don't forget you can check out louis thoreau's altered states altered states and the episode is love without limits yeah. on hbo max if you have it otherwise you can download a free trial right now yeah let us, and let us know what you think we want to hear about your reaction to the episode and Good or bad, tell us your thoughts. Right. You know, we have seen, we've read through a lot of the the commentary from monogamous people. Yeah. Said some not great things. We read some commentary from some polyamorous people that gave kudos and accolades. It's kind of a, a polarized statement or a yeah. polarized stance on something. And we understand that it's TV. Things are heavily edited and produced. And there's probably a crap ton of content that was recorded and not used. So. And, and you got to promote sensationalism because no one likes watching boring TV. Right. <laughs> so basically, all we're trying to do, I guess, when we were watching this episode, we just couldn't get past the fact that he was really stuck on this, am I enough or why aren't I enough? And that really hit us in a way that, as we've been polyamorous for so many years, that we thought, oh, hell, this is what a monogamous person sees, and we should probably explain a little bit why. I mean, we're not, we're trying to bridge the gaps on that polarization. We want to create more middle ground and more common ground mm -hmm. so that we all maybe have a little better understanding of each other so that we can work together so that we can all grow. Right, and so we have more when a monogamous-minded person does say, why isn't he enough? Maybe we've got a better answer next time when someone asks it. Right, and in that age-old thing, oh, I could never do that. <laughs> I wouldn't want my partner cheating on me. Uh, you know, like that thing, that's when you start worrying about you not being enough for your partner. Right. And maybe if, if after hearing some of this you think, oh, I couldn't do that, Take some time and ask yourself why and, and what are you going to lose by watching your partner's 
spend time with someone else or be happy with someone else. And what are you going to lose by exploring those options yourself? Not trying to convert. Right. Just trying to help us all grow and maybe open our mind to different ideas and viewpoints and opinions so that we can all learn how to understand each other better so we can all love a little better. Right. Absolutely. And I guess... That pretty much does it for us. Bella, you want to go actually do some gardening? Yeah, sounds like a sexy time, my daffodil. All right, come on, Tulip. See you next Tuesday. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella. And Monsina. You can find our Facebook page in the links. Or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And, and love, love without, without limits. limits.